it's always so nice to just meet new strangers and you leave friends because you know all it took was one round of disc golf and you know a, a common love for the game and a common understanding that you know we're there to have fun like sure we're competing but you know a lot of us talk about how you know <laughs> I, I love saying if someone asked me how my round went and it wasn't a good round it's just I always say I still love disc golf. Hello and welcome to another episode of I'd Rather Be, a podcast about the hobbies and passions that make our lives fuller and richer. I'm your host, Katya Rucker. Maybe the best perk of producing this podcast is that I get to try almost every sport, craft, or hobby featured in each episode. And I'm always so excited to hear from listeners who are also trying out distance running or bird watching after they hear those episodes. Trying new things is immensely beneficial for our brains. It helps create new brain cells and new pathways between existing brain cells. Most of the time, I'll try these activities once, maybe twice. But I have to say, my two guests on I'd Rather Be Disc Golfing have really made me feel like if I can only keep up with two or three hobbies, disc golf should probably be one of them. I'll let them tell you why. Let's start with Taylor English. Taylor and I used to work together at a school in Salem, Massachusetts, and he recently moved across the country and is now based in Phoenix, Arizona. Taylor is an avid disc golfer of nearly 10 years. Geez, it's been, it's crazy looking at the date right now with it being 2022, because I think back in 2011, 2012, my older brother gave me two disc golf discs and you know, they sat in my room for a couple of years. You know, he, he played when he was in college in Vermont. There was a course nearby and he played with his friends. He's like, hey, man, I, I really think you'd enjoy this. And it wasn't until about 2013 when my hometown um, installed a course. And um, summer vacations, you know, home from college, you know, we went up and you know, I had one friend who tried it first because the community had like a introduction day where, you know, they had some clinics and kind of explained the rules. And, um, you know, we were all, you know, athletes, um, maybe a little too competitive. So mm-hmm. just looking for that, that next thing to try out. And uh, it didn't take too long for all of us to get really invested in it. And we had all golfed before. So picking up the rules of it and kind of recognizing that it is very similar to real golf, um, it, it made it a bit easier for us. We knew how the scoring worked. So yeah, I'd say recreationally, I started playing about 2013. And why did those discs sit in Taylor's closet for two years? He just hadn't seen the sport in action, he tells me. He didn't know much about it, beyond that it generally follows the rules of regular golf, or ball golf as it's known to disc golfers, meaning the object is to get the disc into the hole in the smallest number of throws possible, ideally at or under par. In disc golf, the hole is usually a raised metal basket with chains hanging down that bring the disc to a stop. So for Taylor, the convenience of having a new course five minutes away made it easy for him to finally put those discs from his brother to use. And it's funny looking to where I'm at now with maybe too many discs in my closet, (laughs) (laughs) but but it's definitely evolved quite a bit and it took a little bit of time and maybe me just not wanting to go out by myself and having that group of friends to go with, you know, probably got me out there a bit quicker. Right. And when you say too many discs, you know, I know that it's like, uh, 
you know, the, the clubs you could have in the sport of golf, but what, just so people know, like what's, what is too many, how many discs do you have? So, um, some of them are, I've collected just because it's so weird that there's kind of a market for them right now where like, you can trade them, you can, you know, you know, buy them and sell them or trade with your friends. It's almost like it's such a hobby now. Almost, I think of it almost like Pokemon cards where like people seek different types of cards or different type of discs and, you know, you have your larger manufacturers, so people like certain discs. You know, if we're talking Innova, Discraft, Discmania, MVP, those are some of the big names. Um, but I'd say in my bag, you know, my backpack that I carry with, I probably have 22 discs with me right now. Okay. And it's, you know, just like real golf, you have your drivers, you have your hybrids, um, you have your putters. And your mid ranges, which are comparable to like the, your seven iron or your your irons. So depending on the shot that you have, depending on the distance, depending on the wind, uh, depending on you know dog leg left or right, whatever angle you need it to finish, you know, you have different discs with you know different speeds and molds and aerodynamics that you know really help you manipulate the throw that you're looking for. In case you're wondering, because I was. Disc golf discs are pretty different from the frisbees designed for throwing and catching. The plastic is firmer, designed to be thrown at high speeds and sustain hitting a tree or the metal basket at a high speed without breaking. And I also hadn't thought about this. Golf balls, you can kind of go through them. You're not attached. But discs, it sounds like you are, you you want your discs. You don't want to lose them. So are people going into the ponds or like really sacrificing their clothes to get their discs? <laughs> uh, personally, yes. I, I have a couple of keepers that, um, yeah, I've gone swimming for them, no doubt about it. And, and a big thing is, you know, writing your name on the disc and hopefully you have that integrity and, you know, golf etiquette to where if you find something, you're going to call the number on the back of the disc. You know, if someone left a putter on yeah. a green, you know, you'd expect that person, you know, bring it to the clubhouse. You know, in this case here, there yeah. are courses or, or local stores that have lost and founds and more often than not, they end up there. But, you know, there's that issue of maybe not getting them back. And, you know, that's why you put your name on it and just hope for the best. And, um, it, it is something that, you know, you, like you, you lose a golf ball more often <laughs> than you, you lose a disc golf disc. But, you know, there are instances, especially, you know, went back east when we play in the winter, you know, sometimes they get buried under the snow and, you know, come springtime, it's like an Easter egg hunt with all the colorful discs popping up with the melted snow. Taylor tells me that New England has some of the best disc golf courses in the country, including the number one ranked course in the world, Maple Hill Disc Golf in Leicester, Massachusetts. Taylor has played on a lot of courses. You'll find out just how many later in the episode, but he tells me Maple Hill is definitely his favorite. There are so many people just like me who would say that it's their default favorite because it really is. It's number one in the world you know, for multiple years. Um, it's on this beautiful land in in Leicester, Massachusetts, and it's a Christmas tree farm. So they do shut down in December, but you know you're throwing over your fairways, you're throwing over the growing Christmas trees, and they have ponds, man-made ponds on the land that you have to clear. Um, sometimes it's a mix of open holes where you can see all the way down to the basket, and it's just beautiful. Or you're really tight in the woods. Um, I like playing in the woods because 
you know, you re it really forces you to hit a specific line, and there's really minimal options for what throw you need to execute, and, you know, maybe you need the disc to, you know, turn over a little bit to the right to get around a tree before it crashes back down to the left, just the way that the discs naturally fly. But, you know, that's a course that really challenges you to execute the perfect shot. To me, as someone who's on the outside looking in, it seems like learning to execute that perfect shot is what really hooks people on the sport of disc golf. That sentiment is echoed by the other guest you're about to hear from, Brian Graham, the director of membership and growth for the PDGA. That's the Professional Disc Golf Association. I think what it all comes down to is um, almost every American has thrown a Frisbee in their lifetime. Most people think they're really good at it. But controlled flight of a disc, there's something about it. It, it. it feeds your soul almost. But once you get to a point where you can throw a disc in flight, you can throw it the length of a football field, but you can throw it accurate and throw it where you want, there's something about that that just draws you in. And then the other thing is the sound that the basket makes. We call it, we call it ching is the sound. And once, once you hear that sound a few times, that just draws you in as well, and you just can't get enough. The PDGA has over 100,000 members worldwide, and because disc golf is an outdoor, socially distanced sport, it experienced record growth when COVID hit in 2020. The organization estimates that over a million people regularly play the game, and new courses are popping up all over the world. And unlike regular golf courses, the majority of disc golf courses are free and located in public parks. It appeals to people of all ages. Our tournaments, our leagues, even casual play, you go out, you see small kids playing, you see families playing, you see senior citizens playing. It is truly a lifetime sport, and because it's so inexpensive to play, and there are disc golf courses almost everywhere now, it, it really just is a sport for everyone. Courses are either 9 or 18 holes. And remember, a hole is a standing metal basket with chains hanging from the top, so the disc makes that ching sound when it lands in the basket. Taylor walked me through the rules of the game, which should sound familiar if you've ever played regular golf. You have your par 3s, par 4s, and par 5s. Um, the distance is typically, you know, just like in golf, the distance indicates, or the challenge of the hole indicates what the par will be. Um, there's a tee box where you initiate your drive and you, you know, follow that throw to where it landed and you have to throw from that next spot and then the hole isn't completed until the disc you know, enters the basket in chains and comes to a rest. So it's, you know, you have your par, if it's a par three, it's a par. Um, if you get you know, one stroke under par, it's a birdie eagle albatross you know hole in ones are super exciting it's it's all very i mean that's a little more common in disc golf than real golf but it it's it's essentially the same scoring you know you have out of bounds markers where if you throw it in the water you you know throw from where it was last in bounds you take your stroke penalty um courses will put their own twist on a course to make it you know unique and special to you know their environment one example of a unique twist a course might impose to make a round of disc golf more challenging is something called a mandatory. 
so it means you know you have to throw this line so maybe there are two trees ahead of you and you'd love to go around it because that's the easy shot but the mandatory makes it so you have to throw between the two trees and if you miss that you get a stroke penalty and go from there every sport has rules obviously but disc golf has something else something that gives it this infectious culture of inclusivity and friendliness and that's the disc golfers code The code has three core principles. Number one, play smart, meaning never throw in a blind area to avoid your disc hitting a person. Number two, respect the course. So observe posted rules and keep it clean. And most importantly, number three, represent the sport. So be positive and responsible and teach others. Taylor puts this last principle in perspective for me when he compares the typical behavior of a golf pro to that of a disc golf pro. Uh, It might be an unfair assumption, but you're not having that individual, you know, go up to somebody who is of lesser ability and try to offer pointers and, and be super supportive of that. And you have disc golf touring pros out here, you know, you know, they love it. It's one of their favorite things is to be able to make an impact on, you know, a new player or a novice player, somebody who's really trying to get better and, you know, giving them the pointers and just a couple critiques of things that they see that, you know, they're not trying to micromanage anything at all or not even trying to do it for their own, like, credibility. It's really just for the betterment of the other individual and the betterment of the sport. People have made a game out of throwing frisbees at targets like trees for a long time, so it's hard to pinpoint the precise birth of disc golf. But an American toy inventor named Ed Hedrick was responsible for inventing both the modern frisbee, which was formerly called the Pluto Platter, and the metal basket that became the standardized target for disc golf. He called it the Flying Disc Entrapment Device. And Ed actually wanted to call the sport Frisbee Golf, but the toy company Whammo, which he worked for at the time, owned the trademark to the Frisbee name and rejected his request to use the name. So he called the sport disc golf and founded the PDGA in the mid-1970s. So we kind of consider him the father of our sport, even though he didn't invent the sport. And so when Ed passed away, it was his wishes to have his ashes molded into Frisbees so that he could fly forever. So when Ed passed away, his ashes were indeed molded into the plastic of Frisbees. Those were sold and the money that was raised through those fundraiser discs was used to create uh, a memorial museum for him at the International Disc Golf Center just outside of Augusta, Georgia. Some of these specialty discs containing Ed's ashes are still in circulation for sale online. I found a pair of them, a putter and a driver, on sale for $215. They have the words, tee off and fly freely, inscribed across the front. Before he died in 2002, Hedrick wrote, We are on the eve of an exponential growth in our sport. Perhaps the world can find peace through communication of a piece of plastic and chains. My dream. And now, 20 years later, Brian tells me that the pieces are falling into place for disc golf and other disc sports to be in the Olympics, thanks to the efforts of WIFDIF. That's the World Flying Disc Federation. They are the international governing body for all disc sports. So PDJ handles just disc golf. There are other disc sports besides disc golf. 
Uh, WIFDIF kind of oversees all of the sports, and WIFDIF is a member of the IOC. So we, disc sports have been recognized by the IOC. We have not yet made it to the Olympics, of course, but we have been in the World Games uh, in the past. We are a demonstration sport at this year's World Games in Birmingham, Alabama, and those are typically the initial steps that a sport has to take in order to become an Olympic sport. The World Games will run from July 7th through 17th this summer in Birmingham. And like Brian said, disc golf will be a demonstration sport, meaning it will be showcased mostly during breaks of other sporting events in the Games. This is a stepping stone toward it becoming a regular member of the 2025 World Games, and from there, the Olympics. Shifting back to Taylor's journey, you might remember that he began playing disc golf in 2013, about 10 years ago. In 2018, he stepped up his game by becoming a member of the PDGA and playing in tournaments at the amateur level. And really what that means is you're, you know, you're playing for discs. You know, there are typically companies or local disc golf shops that sponsor these tournaments. So, you know, if you place well in these tournaments, you get store credit kind of thing. And that's super exciting for new players because you're not really quite sure what discs you want to throw. So, you know, and disc golf is, you know, a pretty inexpensive sport because not many courses charge to play. So you really just need your equipment and you can show up and go. Um, I played at the amateur level for... You know, two years, and I think I made that jump in 2020 to, you know, it's, it is called professional, but I certainly don't consider myself a professional disc golf player because, you know, I'm a professional teacher and I disc golf as a hobby. Um, the only difference is now that you're playing for money and it's, it's, it's a cool, you know, cool prospect to know that, you know, if you play well and, you know, you could walk home, you know, maybe with your money back from the tournament or, and sometimes more. To recap, PDGA tournaments reward players at the amateur level with prizes, like discs, and players at the professional level with money. But as Taylor was recounting his journey with disc golf to me, there was something he spoke of with even more fondness than his achievement in moving from the amateur to the pro division in tournaments. You know, something that I'm really proud of is not just how much disc golf I've played, but I really took pride in trying to play new courses and, and seeing the country through disc golf. So I've done a couple of road trips. You know, when I first moved to Arizona, I drove cross country and mm. I camped out and played disc golf the entire time. Nice. Yeah. And I, I wrote it down before I got on here, but I'm, I'm now up to 163 different disc golf courses. Wow. And it's something that, you know, I'm going to continue to get there. You know, 200 is my next milestone. And um, I got my eyes on the Pacific Northwest as a region of the country that I really want to explore, especially because it's just so beautiful. Yeah. And I, I just imagine that the disc golf courses would put me in awe. So wow. I'm at 163 courses. I've played it in 26 different states. Um, and one Canadian province. Really cool. I got to play in Halifax one time. So <laughs> it's it's funny where, you know, my wife laughs at me a little bit where anytime we travel, I'll always look on my app to see if there's a disc golf course nearby and, you know, maybe ask permission if it's something that, you know, maybe I could squeeze in around, um, meet new people. And like I said, it's, the community is so special. So anywhere you go, you know, I've showed up and met locals and they've just been so welcoming. This welcoming, friendly culture is so ubiquitous that anywhere Taylor went in the country, it felt like home ending up at a disc golf course. 
So I wondered, are friendly people just naturally drawn to the sport? Or does the sport have the power to change people? I I feel like it's disc golf that makes the person, you know, because you have someone who's not quite sure about it, but then they get bitten by that bug and they really buy into it. They buy into the community aspect of it and recognizing that, hey, this Saturday morning group that goes out, like, you know, I'm not going to necessarily, you know, I want to win, I want to play, but I just want to be with my friends. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. I want to be outside. I want to, you know, it's such a leisure activity, and it's it is it is low impact too. So it is something where like maybe there are people who are, you know, you know, football players or something. You know, they banged up their bodies a little bit, and they're just looking for something, and it's pretty low impact. You know, you can walk, you, know, you can walk all the courses. Um, so I would say it's, you know, the combination of, you know, people who want to be outside, you know, they want to try something new. You know, they've played other sports in their past. You have a lot of former athletes. So if all it takes is a love of nature, a balance of socializing mixed with light exercise, and an openness to trying something new, it's easy to see why disc golf has been growing at an exponential rate these past few years. And earlier this year, Taylor had the opportunity of a lifetime to introduce disc golf to kids in the township of Curland in South Africa. A friend of Taylor's who also loves disc golf started a nonprofit volunteer program called Sound of a Smile, dedicated to providing assistance to poverty-stricken communities in South Africa and Tanzania. Much of the youth in Curland lacked access to extracurricular outlets such as sports, music, arts, and cooking. So Taylor signed on as part of a group visiting to bring disc golf to the community. Before we went, we were able to collect from friends of ours, you know, maybe 75 discs. And, and it was something where, you know, when we were doing our clinics in Curland, you know, every, every kid got to have, have one. Um, so it was, you know, it wasn't any shortage of saying, no, sorry, you can't play right now. Um, it, it was just, oh man, it, it was such an amazing experience because, you know, just trying to, you know, instill one more thing, one more thing that they could look forward to or a new hobby that they could pick up and, you know, be able to, you know, not just coach it, but, you know, be a role model and be a mentor and be able to you know present something new to them that is already of such interest. Taylor tells me that getting the discs and portable baskets there was half the battle and the goal in the next couple years is to help get a permanent course installed in Curland. Given his recent experience coaching the sport, I asked Taylor what advice he has for practicing it. And just like learning anything new, the key, he says, is repetition. So don't just play a course from start to finish. So if you're playing and you throw a bad shot, best way to make your adjustment is to immediately throw another one. You know, try something right then and there. You know, don't keep score just, you know, because you need to come back with a number to show people that you scored. Like, it it doesn't have to be quantitative, you know. It's, you know, the qualities of the throw. So for me, when I'm practicing, if I throw it off the tee box and it's not what I wanted it to be, I'm going to try again and try to make that adjustment in real time and really try to identify what it was. You know, was my weight too forward? Did I pull off to the right? You know, was, was I too slow on my bottom half and my top half came through quicker? It's like, okay, I can feel that error or physically what I did. I need to work right now how to fix that. 
it's just like if we were playing basketball you know you take a shot you know if you're just practicing you take a shot you feel what you did you didn't follow through you didn't release completely or maybe you didn't get enough of your legs into it you now know that next shot what you have to work on and I think that's the best way to get better and as Brian from the PDGA said earlier we've all thrown a frisbee before and that muscle memory provides a basic starting point whether it's putting at close range or trying to get the disc to curve in between trees in the distance the satisfaction of that ching sound is certainly worth the practice. The sport is just booming, and for a reason. People who try it, love it, they keep playing, they introduce the game to friends, That uh, they come out, they bring more friends with them. The sport has just been booming. I highly encourage everyone listening to this podcast to at least give it a try. Until my conversations with Taylor and Brian, I had no idea I live about an hour away from the Maple Hill Disc Golf Course in Western Massachusetts. Remember, that's the number one disc golf course in the world. So I'll absolutely be giving the sport a try this summer. I want to thank Taylor and Brian for sharing their passion and expertise about the sport of disc golf with us on the I'd Rather Be podcast. If you're enjoying I'd Rather Be, the best way you can help the show grow is by sharing it with friends or colleagues who also listen to podcasts. And you can stay up to date by following I'd Rather Be Podcast on Instagram. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Katya Rucker. Show notes and the full transcript for this episode can be found at idratherbepodcast.com. Have a great week, and thanks for listening. Thank you.